Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast brought to you by EI Legal. I'm joined by my colleague, Simon Obi. Um, this podcast, if you haven't joined before, it's aimed at HR professionals, in-house counsel, and anyone really um, with an interest who has an interest in employment law. Um, today, we're going to talk to you about JobKeeper 2.0 um, and the recent amendments to the Fair Work um, Act in relation to flexibilities provided to employers who are eligible for JobKeeper. Um, Simon, as always, is an expert in this area. He's already um, done a couple of blogs for our website. So I might, as a starting point, Simon, um, get you to talk about or recap what JobKeeper 2.0 is about. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ahana. Um, so, yeah, JobKeeper, the first phase of JobKeeper was um, legislated to end on the 27th of September 2020. And um, since then, we know that it's being extended um, until uh, the end of March, um, till 28th of March 2021. So, um, what it will look like going forward is it is split into two phases. So there's a phase from 28th of September 2020 to the 3rd of January 2021, and then a, a second phase from the 4th of January 2021 to the 28th of March 2021. And for employers to be eligible for that first phase, they need to show um, a 30% decline in turnover for the July to September 2020 quarter, um, unless they're a, a charity, in which case uh, they need to show a 15% decline in turnover for that quarter. Um, and the um, employees that will be covered by the JobKeeper um, subsidy uh, in phase one, Initially, it was only employees employed as at the 1st of March 2020. It now covers also employees who um, were employed as at the 1st of July 2020. So um, for the, the second phase of JobKeeper, starting on the 4th of January, employers must again show a 30% decline in turnover, but that is for, um, they have to show that for the October to December 2020 quarter and again, a 15% um, decline for um, charities. Ahana, were you going to... Yeah, I, I was just going to say that's, I guess, slightly different than the original, I guess, JobKeeper 1.0 in that um, previously it was my understanding that businesses only needed to show a projected um, turnover. And now it's, actually, um, it's, it's a little bit different in that they have to show the actual turnover. Um, so I think it'll be more difficult for employers to be eligible. Is that right? Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That That is, it is a slightly different test. Um, so um, I don't know whether that makes it more difficult or not, but, but, but it will be, um, it will be completely kind of certain whether they have met that decline in turnover test, whereas there was a more, leeway in that as long as you in good faith projected um, that decline in turnover and um, that was all all that you needed to show so I think yeah I think you're right um, 
so yeah very good point um the the other you know significant change for jobkeeper 2.0 is in in the current jobkeeper scheme the um subsidy that's paid um to uh employees is um $1500 per fortnight in the new jobkeeper um phase so from 28th of September to 3rd of 3rd of January that goes down to $1,200 per fortnight um, for employees who worked an average of 20 hours or more per week, either in February 2020 or June 2020, whichever um, uh, months they worked uh, higher hours in. Um, and for other employees who are working less hours in those periods, it goes down to $750 per fortnight. And then for the second phase of JobKeeper 2.0, um, so from 4th of January 2020 to 28th of March 2021, the rate drops for, to $1,000 per fortnight for employees who were working 20 hours or more in, in either February or June 2020 and drops down to $650 uh, for employees who were work per fortnight for employees who were working less. So those are the kind of um, uh, big changes in, in JobKeeper 2.0, and, and that's that's what it's going to look like going forward. Um, Ahana? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, the, I guess the two-tiered approach now where, um, it, you know, previously it was just 1,500 for oil employees. Now it's based on whether they've worked 20 hours or less. Um, I was thinking about it. It's likely to, I guess, disadvantage certain part-time and casual employees um, because I guess to be an eligible employee, it has to be just with that one employer. And if say, for example, a part-time employee is only working um, is what has two jobs and they're only working say 15 hours with both employers, they're likely to be disadvantaged. I mean, not covered by the job keeper scheme. So. Yeah, um, well, they'll, they'll be, um, they'll be just eligible for the lesser payment, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, it, true. It will, it, will, it will have a significant impact, yes. I mean, to drop down from 1,500 to, to 750, it will make a, a, real, a real impact. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I guess the idea behind the two-tiered approach was that some employees who were doing, you know, very few hours, um, um, prior to uh, March, we're, we're getting a, a windfall when um, they they all of a sudden got their fortnightly pay bumped up to, to yeah. $1,500. And that was certainly a concern for, I guess, a lot of our clients who had casual employees previously, maybe. I mean, they may have been long-term, but only, or even part-time employees, only working, say, one or two shifts a week. And then, um, especially when they had to sort of pay it up front before receiving the subsidy. So... Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it might be a response to that. Yeah, well, I think it definitely is. Yeah. And, and those challenges will still remain. It, it, JobKeeper 2.0, it's still paid in arrears. So it, it, it does require employers to have the cash flow to, to make those payments. Um, what we didn't know until um, the legislation that was passed on the 1st of September um, was what... Um, was happening to the Fair Work Act flexibility. So 
as when JobKeeper was introduced, at the same time as employers and employees becoming eligible for this payment, and the Fair Work Act was amended to provide employers with really what was some unprecedented powers um, to um, provide flexibility in the workplace. You know, the most important of, of which was this ability to issue um, JobKeeper enabling stand down directions, which enables employers to reduce their employees' ordinary hours without the employee's consent, potentially down to um, zero hours. And there were some other um, flexibilities introduced um, regarding um, being able to direct employees to perform their duties from different locations, so requiring them to work from home, for example, and also to change their duties. Um, so, you know, employees who were working in uh, as a wait staff in a restaurant might might have been required to um, now do takeaway duties, that kind of stuff, um, and also uh, a. a a right to request employees take annual leave, which could only be refused on, on reasonable grounds. So those flexibilities were legislated to um, last until um, the 27th of September. And then there was a question of what's going to happen um, after the 28th of September. Will employers still be able to uh, enjoy the same flexibilities? what will happen to employers who are leaving the JobKeeper scheme at the end of September because they no longer satisfy, satisfy the decline in turnover test, will those flexibilities still be available? That has now been legislated, so we now have the answer to that. So um, perhaps we'll jump into um, talking about that now. So for employers who remain part of the JobKeeper scheme, so who satisfy the turnover test for um, uh, 28th of September onwards, um, they continue to be able to use most of those flexibilities in the same way. The big change for all employers um, is that this ability to um, request employees take annual leave and for the employee to have to comply with that unless the request is unreasonable has been removed for everyone. So that means we snap back to what the position was um, prior to the Fair Work Act amendments, which means the ability to require employees to take annual leave is dictated by any modern award or enterprise agreement that applies to them. Um, and most awards um, have a very limited ab ability for employers to require employees to take annual leave. Usually they have to have um, excessive annual leave accrued and excessive leave is generally defined as um, eight weeks or more um, in the bank. Um, for award-free employees, there's, there's always been a, an ability to require them to take annual leave where that request is reasonable. So that, that, um, that still exists for award-free employees, but the, the situation is going to be um, uh, a lot more difficult for award-covered employees. Awards have, have, have been amended temporarily to provide a bit more flexibility, but certainly 
um, it's going to be a lot harder going forward to um, uh, require employees to take annual leave. Yeah, because I guess um, previously as well, the previous flexibility in respect to requesting an employee to take annual leave, that also extended to requesting an employee to take twice the amount of um, annual leave at half the pay. So yep. that's quite significant for an employer to be able to do that. Um, but so that's sort of, I guess that's gone um, moving forward. That's been amended in the Fair Work Act. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's gone um, for all employers, regardless of whether they remain eligible for uh, JobKeeper 2.0. Um, but what they employers can continue to do if they are still eligible for um, JobKeeper is to continue with those um, JobKeeper enabling stand down um, directions to, to reduce employees' hours down to zero. They can, till, they can still, um, you know, change the duties of employees and, and the locations where they perform their work, and they can still change the times and days that employees work their ordinary hours. So for employee, employers who remain eligible for JobKeeper 2.0, they still... Um, enjoy a, a wide range of flexibilities. I think one thing for employers to be aware of is if you have um, issued a, a JobKeeper um, enabling direction to reduce an employee's hours um, already, you need to look at how that was worded. It, it probably would have been um, drafted in a way which only operated until the um, end of uh, 20 end to 27th of September when when the original legislation was um, uh, expiring so if you want to continue um, to have the employees working reduced hours you need to go back and look at what the actual direction you drafted looked like and it may well be that you need to um, implement a new one um, Ahana, were you going to add something to that? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I'm trying to recall whether there was, there was actually a requirement to tell them the, when the end date was for the JobKeeper um, enabling direction. So I'm sure, I guess, all employees are going to have to look at that documentation um, yeah. and issue a new one if they are eligible. But I guess that leads us on to the next part is what happens for employers who are no longer eligible for JobKeeper 2.0, and I might go through that briefly, and I'm sure you'll have things to add, Simon. But for businesses who were previously eligible for JobKeeper, but they're not anymore with JobKeeper 2.0, and the explanatory memorandum call, um, refers to them as legacy employers, um, they will still have certain flexibilities available to them under the Fair Work Act. Um, but there's a couple of, I guess, requirements that they need to satisfy. The first thing is that they need to show that they've um, met the uh, a decline. They've um, there's a decline in turnover of ten percent, um, so not thirty percent or n not anything um, that they had to meet prior. But for people who are not eligible any longer, in order to I guess access the flexibilities, they have to show that there's been a ten percent decline in turnover. What um, they can do the flexibilities that are afforded to them is that they can actually still issue JobKeeper enabling directions to employees um, with respect to, I guess, a reduction in hours. But the key change is that they cannot reduce an employee's hours below 60% of the employee's 
hours of work. So previously it may have been the case that they reduced them, you know, there was flexibility to reduce it down to zero. Um, they can't do that anymore. They can only reduce um, an employee's hours by 40% of their ordinary hours. So that's one thing. Simon? Yeah, yeah and I, I was, yeah, was just going to say, and, and the relevant sort of test time um, for, for assessing what their previous ordinary hours um, were is, is um, the ordinary hours they were working in March 2020. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, and I guess the other thing that they can also do is um, they can ask them, request to um, change their duties, I think it is. Um, so that's, I guess, still available to them. But of course, the um, request to take annual leave, that's gone completely. That's not available to anyone. I guess that's one of the, I guess, critical differences. Um, there's also, there were previously notification and consultation requirements. So even if there's flexibility to reduce someone's hours, there are a couple of things that the employer had to do. So the first thing was that um, the direction could not be unreasonable in the circumstances. Um, the employer must sort of reasonably believe that the direction is necessary to continue the employment. And it can only be given if the employer has followed a certain consultation process. And that consultation process basically required the employer to provide three days notice previously that they were intending on issuing the direction. Now that notice period has changed from three days to seven days. So if an employer, um, a legacy employer, intends on um, issuing a JobKeeper enabling direction to reduce someone's hours, again, they can only be reduced by 40%. They must provide an employee with seven days of notice in writing that they intend to then issue a direction. So that's one of the other key changes. Anything else of Miss Simon? No, I think that that um, that that sums it up perfectly. Uh, I, I was going to perhaps just make a couple of points about the um, ten percent decline in, in yes, of course, tests. and um, how it will operate is that um, the somewhat confusingly the period from twenty eighth of September till twenty eighth of March, twenty twenty one is for the purposes of legacy employers is divided up into three um, periods which don't um, relate at all to the JobKeeper payment periods because, of course, job, uh, legacy employers aren't getting JobKeeper anymore. But basically, for the period 28th of September 2020 to 27th of October 2020, to use one of the flexibility provisions um, during that period, the employer will have to um, satisfy the 10% decline in turnover for the April to June 2020 quarter. And then for the period 28th of October 2020 to 27th of February 2021, if they want to use flexibilities within that period, um, they need to show uh, a 10% decline in turnover for the July to September 2020 quarter. And then finally, for the 28th of February 2021 to 28th of March 2021 period, if they want to use the flexibilities in that um, uh, period, then they need, they'll need to show uh, the 10% decline in turnover for the October to December 2020 um, 
quarter. And obviously, when we say um, decline in turnover, we mean um, compared to the same quarter in the previous year. So there's, there's three um, particular periods of time where the decline in turnover test will need to be, um, need to be met. So the employer um, will uh, need to obtain a certificate from their accountant or another um, financially um, uh, qualified person, which verifies that they have a 10% decline in turnover. There is an exception for small businesses, businesses with less than 15 employees who can self-certify that they met that decline in turnover test. Um, so I think that is obviously going to be uh, a lot of um, bureaucracy and admin, but um, that is, is, is how it is. Um, I suppose, I think we've, we've probably um, covered most of the, the points. I, for, perhaps for the sake of completeness, we've talked about um, uh, the rights of legacy employers, those who have left the JobKeeper scheme but can still satisfy a 10% in decline in turnover test. Obviously, there are also these legacy employers who were eligible for JobKeeper and no longer eligible and can't meet the 10% decline in turnover test. For those employees, they don't have access to any of the Fair Work Act flexibilities. So um, I just make that point for the sake of complete. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Simon. So they would have to rely on the just the regular stand down provisions in the Fair Work Act, um, which I guess quite strict to meet. In that they say that an employer can only stand down an employee um, due to a stoppage of work for which they cannot be held responsible. Um, so you know, I guess that's what they have to rely on or consider, you know, reaching an agreement. You can always reach a mutual agreement with an employee. Um, but if, of course, the employee doesn't agree, you'd have to then look at to whether you can meet the requirements under the standout provisions in the Fair Work Act. There was, um, other than that, something that I, I touched on earlier in that when a JobKeeper enabling direction is issued, it must be reasonable. Um, so it cannot be unreasonable. There is a new note um, in the in Section Seven Eight Nine GK of the Fair Work Act, which deals with JobKeeper enabling directions, and that basically I get, gets, gives more clarity to what a reasonable direction might be. But it says that it specifies that if a direction regarding the reduction in hours is given to employees in a particular category or group of people, the directions may be unreasonable if that if the directions have an unfair effect on some employees in that category compared with other people in that category who are also subject to those directions. So that's some further guidance. I haven't seen it, I guess, in play because these changes just came into effect. Um, but um, it might be, for example, where, um, you know, everyone in one team, um, it, you're considering sort of one department in a company and they've all been issued with um, a JobKeeper enabling direction to reduce that, their hours. But um, say, for example, one person has parental responsibilities um, and it sort of doesn't suit them and it's going to have a very negative impact on them, then it may be considered unreasonable. So at the end of the day, you're still going to have to 
keep it, I guess, fair and equitable across the board, but also consider each employee's individual circumstances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess there's going to be a real danger in, in sort of cherry picking um, which employees you are, are standing down or reducing their hours. You, you know, I, I think that the safest approach is to, um, you know, try and be as uniform and as, as consistent across, across the board. But as Ahana says, obviously taking into account people's individual circumstances too but yeah it's we'll have to see how that one plays out Um, and we also get um sorry simon to interrupt but we we also get asked what the danger is like what actually happens but employees can actually file an application with the fair work commission um and you know challenge on the basis upon which the job keeper enabling direction was issued and we've seen some cases all come out of that recently from the Fair Work Commission. So it can be challenged by an employee. So, which is why it is important to go through the notification requirements, the consultation requirements and consider whether it may be reasonable or not to issue that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So I, look, I think we've, we've, we've touched upon the, the main changes. I guess we could finish just by saying um, what employers need to be kind of thinking about as, as we approach JobKeeper 2.0, and I think um, it is prudent if, if employees have had their hours reduced, particularly if they've been issued a, a, a JobKeeper enabling stand-down direction, just to revisit what that said, and, and if you are remaining in the JobKeeper scheme, um, do you need to issue a new um, stand-down direction, either because you... Um, can no longer um, have uh, employees stood down beyond 60% of their hours, so you need to step them up. Maybe um, the, the way the, the direction was drafted was that it, it was expressed to end at, on the 27th of September, and maybe you need to extend that. And of course, if you're, if you're leaving the JobKeeper scheme altogether and you have employees that have had their hours reduced, you need to either, you know, bring them back, back up to their previous hours or, or think about other ways that you might be able to affect um, a, a, um, a reduced work, workload. Um, and Ahana mentioned, you know, that it's possible to do that by agreement or there is a much, much harder, um, more limited ability under the sort of traditional stand-down provisions of the Fair Work Act. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's going to come around very quickly. So start thinking about those questions now. Obviously, reach out to us if you need um, any assistance with any of that. I know that Employment Innovations is currently developing a new suite of template documents, um, and letters and the like to um, issue to employees to deal with all of those things. So uh, you can head over to their website at um, employmentinnovations.com and register your interest to be emailed those when they're ready. Um, if you want to contact us, you can do so via our website, eilegal.com.au or send us an email at info at eilegal.com.au. Um, I think, Thanks. yeah, I think that's all for today, Simon. But um, what I should add, as we always do, is that everything that I guess we've discussed today, it's just meant to be general in nature and it's not 
intended to be legal advice. But as Simon said, please do feel free to reach out to us um, at info at eilegal.com.au. We would be delighted to help you out. Um, and I guess that's all we have time for today. So thanks everyone for tuning in and thanks, Simon. Thanks, Ahana. See you later, everyone. Bye.